Okay, if you have a Bible this morning, I want to invite you to the book of 2 Samuel. It's chapter 11, 2 Samuel chapter 11. And um, uh, if you don't have a Bible, there's some on the sides of the tech booth back there. Feel free uh, to go grab one. If you need to grab one, you can borrow it. If you need to have a Bible because you don't have one that you can read and understand, please feel free to take that. It is our gift to you. Um, I will let you know that, uh, well, a couple of things. Um, uh, number one, this is the Sunday before July the 4th, and so if you came in expecting, uh, there are churches that do this, if you came in expecting, uh, you know, patriotic things or whatever, um, I, I, listen, I love our country so much that I want what is absolutely best for it. What is best for it is for the church to be the best church that it can be. In order for the church to be the best church it can be, we got to stand up and teach the Bible. So that's what we're going to do this morning. Good? Hello? Okay. All right. So that's what we're going to do. Secondly, um, uh, we're going to take as big a bite of this as we possibly can, which is really just one point. That's all we're going to get to this morning. So everybody just, because you're looking at the clock going, he's just now starting. <laughs> Are you serious? Are they catering lunch? Uh, yeah. Chick-fil-A. We'll bring it. No, we're not. So, yeah. See what I did there? See what I did? That's fancy right there. That's good humor. Yep. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. And you get that for free, people. Uh, so uh, we're going to take a bite of this, um, have a few minutes where we think about David. And um, here's one of the things that I love about this story. I, I don't love this story, but here's one of the things that I love about the story. It is proof positive that God uses imperfect people. Anybody qualify? It is furthermore proof positive that the Bible's trustworthy because um, if I'm writing this, I don't include this story. You know why? Because it makes the leader look bad. So here we go, unvarnished, unkempt, um, full-on sin right here, 2 Samuel chapter 11. Let me just, we, we did 2 Samuel 6. Let me just fill in a couple of gaps here. Uh, David has established the political capital in Jerusalem. He has established the spiritual capital in Jerusalem with the ark coming in. We looked at that story last week and how worship unfolded in light of that. And then, you know, really we get into seven, eight, nine, uh, um, and 10, and we see just victory after victory, after victory, after victory, after victory, after victory, victory, just over and over and over and over and over again, we're seeing God bless David. And here's the thing. He's, he's a good leader. He's a good King. He's a man after God's own heart. He is, he is being used by God, um, to establish some really important and incredible things on the earth. So in light of all of that now, Let's turn to 2 Samuel 11, verse 1. In the spring of that year, uh, in the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle, David sent Joab and his servants with him in all Israel. And they ravaged the Ammonites and they besieged Rabbah, but David remained at Jerusalem. It happened late one afternoon when David arose from his couch and was walking on the roof of the king's house that he saw from the roof a woman bathing. And the woman was very beautiful. And David sent and inquired about the woman. And one said, uh, it is, is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? Pause right there. Uh, if you read later in 2 Samuel, you figure out that Uriah the Hittite is one of David's mighty men, one of his most trusted 30 warriors. Like you don't get any closer to the king than that, okay? 
Um, verse four. So David sent messengers and took her and she came to him and he lay with her. Now she had been purifying herself from her uncleanness. Um, and, and then she returned to her house and then the woman conceived verse five and she sent and told David, I'm pregnant. I think that's all we're going to manage this morning. So let's just pause here. And I, here's what I want to do. As unvarnished and as unkempt and as terrible as the story is, I want to start by simply looking at the cause of this. There's a lot more to come in this, in this story, but let's start by looking at the cause. Um, and, and break it. Let me just say this, and then I want to turn backwards a couple of pages. Uh, here's the warning shot you need to hear. Satan will exploit a character weakness at the least beneficial moment to you in order to cause the most destruction um, to the kingdom of God and to the cause of Christ. Can I say that one more time? Satan, he will exploit a character flaw in you. But he will wait to the most, I mean, just the, the absolute uh, most... Uh, uh, crucial time, let's say it that way, to this crucial time. He will wait to the most crucial time where you have the most influence and the most prestige and, the, and you're the highest that you've been. He will wait till that most crucial time in order to do the most possible damage to the kingdom of God and to the cause of Christ. Can we turn backwards a couple of pages? Second Samuel chapter 5. I want you to look at verse 13. Second Samuel 5, verse 13. And David, listen, don't miss this. And David took more concubines and wives from Jerusalem after he came from Hebron. And more sons and daughters were born to David. And then he goes on to list who those are. Can we, can we be clear about something? David was a man after God's own heart. He was the king of God's people. He was doing good work. And he had a character flaw. He could not manage his passions. And the enemy waited until the most crucial time to exploit that in order to cause the most damage um, to the kingdom of God and to the cause of Jesus. Listen, if he did it in David's life, guess what? He'll do it in your life too. So, there's causes here. Let's, let's walk through this. One of the causes of temptation that led David to sin was a cause of location. That's what he says in verse 1. In the spring of the year, the time when what? What happened? When the kings go out to battle. What happened? David sent Joab and his men and all the people of Israel. So location. And where did David, what did, where did David stay? He stayed in Jerusalem. Location. He was not where he was supposed to be. How many stories of, oh gosh, my world went sideways and I found myself off in a wreck started with, well, I went there even though I'm not sure I was. How many stories start that way? You're not where you're supposed to be. Secondly, there's a cause of activity. Look at what he says in verse 2. It happened, it says, late one afternoon when David arose from his couch and was walking on the roof of the king's house. Let's pause right there. Uh, flat roof, okay, so don't think like he was climbing around on like a roof like yours. No, he's walking around just doing things that, that kings do, uh, getting a little exercise, freshening up, whatever he's doing, right? This is not abnormal. This is not bad. This is not a, He's just doing what he's doing. That activity is not the problem. Look what happens. 
um, that he saw from the roof a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful. Listen to me. That was not the problem either. Sometimes things show up in your life that you don't anticipate. Uh, the, that, was not the, that was not the problem either. The problem is what he did with that. Instead of indulging that um, like he did, he, he should have done something else. We'll talk about that here in just a second. And then his response to that. So we've got location was a problem. It was a cause for this. Activity was a problem. He was doing what he wasn't supposed to be doing, staring at a woman bathing. And then verse 3, and David sent and inquired about the woman. This pause right there. What should he have done? He should have turned away. But his response was to get curious about sin. Listen to me. You don't flirt with that stuff. Don't do it. David sent and inquired about the woman. And then listen to the mercy of God here. This does not, you didn't read this and think, oh, that's the mercy of God. I promise it is. One of his servants answered him and said, what? Is this not Bathsheba? She has a name. She's created in the image of God, King David. And her name is Bathsheba. Don't miss that. The daughter of Eliam. She's somebody's kid. She has a name created in the image of God, and she is the daughter of someone that I can put a name to. The wife of Uriah the Hittite, one of your trusted men, one of the 30 um, of David's mighty men, like she's created in the image of God and has a name. She's the daughter of somebody that I can put a name to, and she's the wife of someone that you put your life in the, I mean, that you uh, put your uh, you put your life in the hands of. That's mercy right there. Because David, at any point, the light could have gone on and he could have gone, oh, you're, God, what am I doing? Of course, of course. Yes, 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 yes. Verse four, uh, David sent messengers and took her. She came to him, he lay with her, and on it goes. Instead of getting curious about sin, what should you do? Second Timothy 2.22 says this. So flee youthful passions. Now, some of you are sitting here thinking, uh, I don't have youthful passions. Great. Just scratch, not, I mean, don't literally scratch the word out, but right above the word in your Bible, you can write the word immature. I don't have youthful passions. You've got some immature passions, passions that are not full and godly. So flee immature passions or desires or lust um, and, and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. So what does he say? He says to do, to do two things. One is when you're getting in this kind of situation, don't get curious about sin. Flee it. Don't, don't like, oh, oh, I wonder what's... No, no, no. Flee. Now, does flee sound like a pretty active word to you? That sounds like, hey, I need to turn tail and sprint as fast as I can, as, uh, uh, as far as I can from this. You're not asking the question, where's the line? Where's the line? You're going, I don't want to be anywhere close to the line. Not only that, though, not only turning away from these immature desires, but instead you're also pursuing righteousness, uh, faith, love, and peace along with. You do it with these people along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. So let me just give a couple of strategies here. Um, first of all, uh, as it regards location, one of the strategies is to change the environment. Change the location where you are. That's one of the things that God gives us um, to, to um, uh, fight temptation in our lives is that we change the environment. If you can stand up and walk out, it's a good thing to stand up and walk out. If you can uh, 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 
figure something out to switch the environment, change somehow the, the environment, physical, relational, uh, whatever, change the environment, that, that is a big, big help. Secondly, change the activity that you're doing. Um, oftentimes, I just, this is just pastoral advice, oftentimes when you're under spiritual temptation, doing something physical helps to reckon with that. What I mean by that is some of you struggle like David does with these mismanaged desires about what you see, that kind of thing. If you start doing push-ups, not only will you be healthier physically, but you'll be healthier spiritually too. For real. Every time, just think about this. Every time you got tempted in that way, you started doing push-ups. First of all, you wouldn't be thinking about that anymore because you'd be like, <sighs> that's, that's kind of what the, that's the idea behind this. And, and secondly, um, it just changes things. If you change the activity, it really does change things. Um, and thirdly, change the focus. Take every thought captive. Take every thought captive. So strategy, change the environment, change the activity, change the focus. And let me um, simply say that, that uh, we, we've talked about this in here before. Um, we won't go through the whole exercise, but let me say it this way. The easiest way not to think about an elephant is to think about a giraffe. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. If I'm thinking, I'm not going to think about an elephant, I'm not going to think about an elephant, I'm not going to think about, what am I thinking about? An elephant. If I replace it instead with thinking about a giraffe, then I'm not thinking about an elephant. You understand what I'm saying? Here's what I mean. The Bible says that we, the weapons that we fight with, they're not physical weapons, uh, they're spiritual weapons. And so uh, one of the things that God has given us to do, 2 Corinthians 10, 4 and 5 says, um, to take every thought captive according to the obedience of Christ. How do you do that? Well, when something comes flying in, some temptation pops up, you go, hey, I'm taking that thought captive. And then I'm going to uh, instead not only flee youthful lust, but I'm also going to pursue um, uh, righteousness and faith and uh, love and peace and that kind of thing. I'm going to do these things. I'm going to be positive about this. So we not only take that thought captive, but then we replace it with something else. This is why Jesus, when he got tempted by the devil, what did he do? He quoted the scripture. So it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him on and on and on. Right? The easiest way not to think about an elephant is to think about a giraffe. The easiest way to turn away from sin is to embrace the pursuit of something godly and important. That's why we work on changing the focus. This doesn't, this, yes, it works. It absolutely works for this particular sin that David struggled with. Um, we have uh, men and women in here who have issues with this particular sin as well. And, and the consequences thereof um, are, are devastating to families and to relationship circles. Right? But it, it works for more than just this particular sin. It works for anxiety. You start feeling that thing kind of raising up in you and you, you feel your shoulders tense up and you're not sure if you're going to make it out of that kind of paralysis or not. What do you do? Change the environment. Change the activity. Change the focus. Um, maybe it's not lust or anxiety. Maybe it's, uh, maybe it's gossip. Maybe it's gossip. Your thing is that um, when you hear, you have to say. That's the struggle that you have. You have to forward the email. You have to respond on Facebook. You have to, when you're in the circle, you got to say something, right? So what do you do? You change the environment. Don't put yourself in those kind of places. Or if you find yourself, get out. 
Uh, you change the activity. If you're in the circle and you can't get out for whatever reason, you start talking about something else. Hey, did you see that the Astros beat the Yankees last night? Glory to God. Amen and amen. People are like, I didn't even know you liked the Astros. I do today. Mm-hmm. Because it's easier not to think about an elephant when I'm thinking about giraffes. That's why people are like, what church do you go to? Change the activity. And then change the focus. Okay, we could talk about gossip. Um, we could talk about... Um, coveting things that your neighbor has. Oh, golly, they just got a thing, or they just put in a pool, or they just, they just, they just, they just, and all. So what do you do? You change the environment. You start looking around your own life, and you say, hey, what are things that I can be grateful for? That's changing the focus. What are the things that God has already blessed me with? Not the things that I'm dying to have, not the things that I'm going to be jealous of, but the I'm going to be grateful for the things that God's provided for me. It doesn't just work for David's particular sin. It also works for all sin. Change the environment, change the activity, change the focus. Um, people say, wait a minute, whoa, 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 whoa. thanks for all the advice here. Uh, this is, you don't know my deal though. Like, I'm the only one who's ever gone through this particular temptation. Can you do me a favor? Look down the row. I mean, look, look literally down your row. Just look at somebody who's on your row. Yeah, they've gone through that temptation too. You know how I know that? Because the Bible says that they have. In 1 Corinthians 10, 13, this ought to be very freeing so that we know that we're not alone. Your collection of ransomed people by the blood of Jesus, amen and amen, and your collection of very, very good sinners. That's why we need to be ransomed by the blood of Jesus. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says you're not alone in this. Here's what he says. Listen, no temptation. How many temptations? None. None of them. No temptation has overtaken you or seized you except that which is common to man. Meaning what? We all share this stuff. No temptation has taken over you except what is common to man. Um, and even with the temptation, God provides a way out. Why? Because he's faithful to do that. He's faithful to do it. You're not alone in this. That is one of the strategies of the enemy that he uses to keep you in that trial, to keep you in that temptation is to say, hey, I feel like I'm the only one who's experiencing this. I promise if we start naming sins, everybody, we could do heads up, seven up because nobody wants to say it out loud. But I mean, if we started naming sins up here, you would see there are people all over the room, all over the room who struggle with the exact same thing you do. You're not alone. And don't let the enemy tell you otherwise. No temptation has overtaken you except that which is common. The, the other thing uh, uh, the enemy will use is he'll say, hey, well, you know, this is really, I mean, God kind of made you like this. Kind of his fault, don't you think? Can we do this? Turn all the way to the right. We're going we're to wrap up here in just a second. Turn all the way to the right. James, the book of James, chapter 1. James chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 12. James chapter 1, verse 12. You ready? Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Now just pause for just a second. Trial and temptation in the Bible are the exact same word. 
okay? Blessed is the one who has remained steadfast under trial slash temptation. For when he stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Verse 13, let no one, when he is tempted, say, I am being tempted by God. To be clear, it is not God's fault that you are experiencing temptation. He says, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. Can we just say out loud that our proclivity to blame somebody else, including God, for the temptations that we have needs to be cut off, and it needs to be cut off at this root right here. It's not on God that we are tempted. Verse 14, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own passion slash desire slash lust. That's what it is. Where does, where does the temptation come from? From inside. That's what it says. It's my temptation. I mean, it's, it's my stuff inside that the enemy uses to lure me. Verse 15. And then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth what? Pleasure. pleasure. Always great things. Reward. What's it say? Brings forth. Listen to me. Sin always brings forth death. David last week puts the Ark of the Covenant on a, on a uh, um, trailer instead of uh, on poles, and he's driving down. Oxen kind of slip. Uzzah sticks his hand out. What happens to Uzzah? He dies. Why? Because sin brings forth death. It always does. Well, my sin that I'm hanging on to doesn't feel like it's killing me right now. Just wait. It's growing up big enough inside to kill you. That's what it's waiting on. Sin always brings forth death, and it's true throughout the New Testament. Um, it, it is true all over uh, the Bible. We see this over and over and over again. One place that the Bible says particularly, Romans 6.23, for the wages of our sin, the stuff that we earn because of our sin is, is death, is death. But the Bible says the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So here's the thing. You can live your life in such a way that you consistently walk away from God and experience death in various forms. Or you can live your life where you flee those immature things and instead pursue Jesus and all the things that he says are right to do. Sin always brings forth death. You're not alone. You're not alone. It's true. And it's not God's fault. It's in you. That's the problem. So you have to take you to Jesus and say, here I am, God. I need you to transform me. I need you to transform me so I don't end up like David, so I don't end up like these other, so I don't end up like story after story after story. God will wait until the most, uh, excuse me, not God, Satan will wait uh, until the uh, absolute worst time to take you out, and he'll take so many people with you. So, we turn away from those things and we turn to Jesus. The wages of sin is death. It's always death. But God gives us life, not just existence, but life and a life that lasts forever. I'm going to take a second and pray here in just a moment and we'll dismiss ourselves. But before we do, you go ahead and shut your stuff or put your things down or whatever you need to do. Close your app. I just want to sit for a second with this.